Review, review, review. Ba 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 bum bum. Review, review, review. Ba 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 bum bum. Review, review, review. Re review, re review. With me and you. Ba 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 bum. Welcome to our Time to Show Up review episode, where Natalie and I take a deeper dive into last week's interview. If you hadn't had the chance to listen to that yet, you might want to check it out before listening further here. It'll make a lot more sense that way. That's right, because in this episode, we will be talking more about the theory behind the material that came up in that interview, so we can better understand the elements that were going on there. We'll also be suggesting reading, practices, and models that may help listeners like yourself who are experiencing resonant challenges and opportunities in their own lives. In this, our first season of Time to Show Up, we're making all of our content freely available to the public. But in the future, these review episodes will only be available within our subscriber community. Members of this community will have access to all Time to Show Up content, plus additional resources, materials, access to online forums, live events, and small groups. Since we know that just listening to stuff isn't usually enough to facilitate desired change, We've designed this community to give you the support you need to take your learning even further. And if you join us at the start of our journey and sign up before April 5th, 2024, we're offering a no-strings three-month membership for free at timetoshowup.org. That's right. And if you choose to stay on with us, which we hope you will, we'll give you a 25% early bird discount just to say thank you. If you're tuning in after that April date, don't worry, you can still try out a free two-week membership with no obligation. There are different packages to choose from, and you can find out more and get in touch at timetoshowup.org. So without further ado... Okay, so we're just coming back from uh, Lisa Marciano's interview, and we felt that this was a really mm -hmm. good example of what you might call the slow burn, right? So it doesn't doesn't burst onto the scene in a moment. It doesn't necessarily come out of a singular catastrophe. Um, what what's your <laughs> what's your take, your start on this idea of, of Lisa's slow burn? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first thing is that she talks about an experience when she was around 19, where she'd been singled out and praised for her writing. So very early on, identifying that this was a way in which to translate and communicate her voice. And then through the subsequent decades, returning to the sense of, I feel there's a book there, there's something to be said. And then this kind of like contrarian voice that says, well, what could you possibly say that would be different? Uh, and then developing the idea around which she might have something to communicate in 2004 and then it becomes a thesis in 2010 and then in 2012 after a bit of a rebuff or a critique from um, an editor or a publisher going back to the the drawing board say okay what is it actually that I want to put out there in the world so it's kind of it's, it's a decades-long journey with something around a desire in how you want to express yourself, I want to write, and then what is it that I want to say? How am I gonna say it? Is it good enough? Is it interesting enough? That kind of self-belief piece. But it's that kind of, that ebb and flow of, of a sea that is always there, but maybe you're aware of it sometimes more than others, but it, it's like a consistent friend somehow. Yeah, th th there were so many occasions in the conversation where you could see the elements of this thing arising as mm. an idea, really like a backwards and forwards push of like quite strong confidence. Like I loved, you know, she's like, 
really early when her children are quite young and she's like pushing the stroller down the street and yeah. she was like, I could, you know, <laughs> I've got something to say, yeah. you know? And then something else happens. We kind of had to search for that a little bit. Like yes. what, because it felt so strong. The evidence was there from this, this experience yeah. in, in university. And then yet it, it kind of sunk beneath the, um, the, waves. the horizon again. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tricky one because there's, there's that kind of fight to say something, to want to do it. And then life, getting in the way and time and commitments and a family and scheduling. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really lovely, which you mentioned when we were thinking about what to share with you guys in the session was around holding paradox and how she was so lucky. Oh, well, I think lucky to have a mom who very early on was able to use kind of a cryptic answer in response to, I can't remember which came first. It's where do like, babies come from or where do yeah. people come, or where does God come from? Yes, yes, <laughs> oh yes. God, yeah. And it's like, well, people created God and God created people. And it's kind of like the chicken and egg thing. But but the sense that it can be both and, and that maybe the interesting thing is the question, not the answer. And so that seeking being something which was ignited or recognized as, as worthy of pursuing from a young age, um, which is interesting given that she then became trained in Jungian analysis. analysis. Yeah. And that also this, you know, she was very clear that uh, this book was to be written for mothers, for real people, not just for other yeah. Jungian analysts. And <laughs> yes. that came up again. And, you know, we reached out to Lisa because both Natalie and I are big fans of this Jungian life, yeah. which is the podcast. If you couldn't tell. Yes. Fan <laughs> <Fandering> a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. And I kind of want to, I want to highlight that a little bit, right? Because oftentimes the impression that you have of someone, right? So, you know, this is uh, yeah. one of the main voices in this podcast. I mean, Jung <laughs> is quite quite niche in a way, but mm. the people who are into it are really into it. This is a really successful popularizing of Jungian ideas. And, you know, it might surprise some people that it took Lisa to gestate an idea that was a passion yeah. for her more than a decade, well into midlife to like kind of finally get this out yeah. the door, right? Yeah. And sometimes that slow burn and now there's like a, a new book coming out soon yes. gonna be published mm -hmm. by sounds true the podcast is this recognizable <laughs> thing and it's like this it's like burning yeah, hot now it's right? so energized and also the other thing that I think is really exciting about this is that um it's not often that you see uh models in general culture of people who are in later life, later midlife, so 50s, 60s, and 70s. I don't know how old the, the fellow presenters are on, on this Jungian life, but usually we kind of, we glorify, and I would suggest even fetishize youth, right? And so you've got the kind of all this emphasis on staying young, on uh, keeping up, on like this, this fast paced sort of bullish approach to career, to, mm -hmm. to success. Um, and to see something like this, which is so alive and energized and exciting, that's taken so long to come to fruition. It's like a fabulous big apple tree that finally produces fruit and it's a glut and they're spectacular. What a nice image. <laughs> but, but this, you know, and it's, and it's this shared passion, you know, that the, the fertile soil has only been fed through years of organic matter sinking in, being digested so that an ecosystem is robust enough for the thing to, to, to blossom. And I feel like with this, there's something similar, for me at least in quality, that giving yourself the chance to revisit and come back to an idea, even if it doesn't feel like it's quite ready yet, until it's ready to bloom and flourish, is is amazing. Mm. I mean, this is one of my, this is one of the reasons why I'm a depth psychologist and mm. why I love depth psychology so much, because it makes room 
for beyond the TikTok, you know, yeah. 30 second, you know, write your nonfiction book with AI in 30 days, you know, and make, make the age in the wisdom, right. Mm-hmm. That comes from like, okay, I would argue and who knows, but I would argue that Lisa's book is probably better when it was written finally mm-hmm. than if she had pushed it out before she yeah. was ready in a sense. And depth psychological ideas from Jung and from Freud and from contemporary psychoanalysis is all about querying into those kind of subterranean mm. levels, those unconscious levels, finding out what's there, building wisdom upon wisdom, yeah. but also identifying those things that hold you back, right? Mm. So there was this contrary voice that said, no, 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 that 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 she got through, yeah. right? And it's a it's beautiful to have that space. In fact, one guy said that I really like this analogy about depth psychology versus kind of more quick, quick and easy methods. <laughs> like the the distinction between fast food and slow food. Mm, mm. Like, yeah. I mean, we don't I, mind if we did. Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. We just did. Have, we just literally <laughs> had cheeseburgers and they were really good. But look, junk food is fine every, every now and then, but there's this thing about like, you know, yeah, you could engage in a seven, eight, 10, 15 year psychoanalysis. And that's one thing. And you can do something for 12 weeks. Yeah. And I'm not dissing the thing that's for 12 weeks. Just one is a slower yeah, thing, different creatures. a different kind of discovery. Mm. And um, taking the time to make those discoveries. It's great. It was great to speak yeah. to a Jungian analyst about her own, her own process. <laughs> yeah, I think. And I think the thing also of it just being something which gets richer with time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I have to say on that bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's like an antidote to TikTok generation. We have to have everything sorted by the time you're 19. It's like it's too much pressure. I think I think I think that's it. And I think maybe there's a balance to be struck because I think if Lisa were here now, she probably would say, "Well, I wish I'd moved a little bit faster," <laughs> or like you know, to get yeah. it out on paper. There was something about um, the contrary force that I think we should talk about here because mm-hmm. they're going to be. Those of you out there um, that do want to get something out there and feel blocked about getting it out there, right? And um, you might, you might not, you might not want to wait, right? Yeah. And I don't. And I think developing a practice of the skill that you desire and that mm. you're afraid of, or, the, or that you don't think you have the voice for, mm. I think is a really good practice. Yeah. So to give a practical example of that, what, what, what comes to mind? Well, I think for writing, um, I really like the Julia Cameron book, The Artist's Way. Mm. And this idea of doing these morning pages, a lot of people will be familiar with it. You know, just writing three pages of something in the morning. And this I is the book and I still haven't read it. It's such a good process. <laughs> and actually, you know, I know you talk a lot about community and yeah. um, accountability and stuff and good people build groups around yeah. that book and take each other through it. It's not for writing, right? It's for kind of getting getting the dross out of your head. It's like a ritualistic practice. Yeah. But if you want to be a writer, you have to write, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you want to be starting a podcast, you have to start recording the podcast. If you want to write a marathon. Yeah. So there is like there is this and it took me a long time to learn this as a depth psychotherapist who's all about the ideas and the abstraction, mm. how important behavioral interventions Oof. are, right? And it's like you could, sometimes you got to do it before you're ready. It's like do the doing. Yeah. 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 So I think um, starting writing, you don't have to show it anywhere, yeah. right? But like get into that habit, I think is a really important one. Because it's really hard. I, I remember someone years ago saying to me, if you want to change your thinking, first change the behavior. I was like, isn't that putting the cart before the horse? It's like, well, 
not really, because if you don't think of yourself, if you if you have evidence for a behavior that, so for instance, writing as an example, where you don't think of yourself as a writer, but you're writing 10 minutes every day, then by the end of the first month, you have, what, 30, 31 entries of you having written, and the evidence is irrefutable. So then you have to change yeah, your you thinking, because you have written. It's like back to the reality principle, which you sometimes raise, that you have to engage with the reality of what you're actually enacting in the world. And so it's kind of, it's a nice flip, I think, somehow. Yeah, absolutely. To, to just kind of get it out of your head and actually get it done. Um, yeah. There's also something around living with the idea and letting the idea kind of grow and take its time to, to work its way through. And you already alluded to this in the sense of it, like it can marinate through time so that the kind of voice you would give to the idea or the stage of development of the idea is different if you do it earlier rather than later. But something of being present with it, returning to it, cultivating it and not letting it go or perhaps it not letting go of you, depending on your perspective on you know, sort of these abstracted ideas of the muses and there being something that needs to be said and maybe you feel like the one that's kind of picking up the idea or what have you, but living with it and not having to rush unless you feel like there is a sense of urgency. And I think that discernment also is... Discernment's a really good yeah. word. <laughs> like how how pressing is it to get this... Well, she talks about motherhood, get the baby out. Yeah, I mean, there was a um, persistent voice there, right, for, for Lisa's project, right? Mm. It, it kept coming up. And then there were these interesting synchronicities where she goes into the bookstore, oh, yes, right? I love that. She sees the spy <laughs> of the book. Twice, I think, yeah. right? Leaves the bookstore, goes to this other like new agey bookstore. It wasn't the even book. a bookstore. It's just like in some random back shelf and there's like five or right, six like, books. Yeah. So, and, and like gets the book. And there are a whole series of things, particularly unions <laughs> love this stuff. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical. That's another conversation <laughs> about how it operates. But like I know that's the thing. How the synchronicity operates. And it's that's about listening, using the world around you to listen into what your, yeah. your, your needs are. Because if she weren't listening in, she wouldn't have seen the two versions of the book yeah right? and it's also it's what you're attentive to if you know that you're revisiting an idea and you're magnetically attracted to the things that are connected to that idea like the book then I mean it's kind of what's the I should know this is behavioral scientist it's, it's the <laughs> now I've forgotten it because I'm trying to remember it it's basically when you get the bias when you're seeing confirmation bias where you're seeing what it is that you're looking for everywhere so you suddenly start thinking about a red car that you might like and then you see yeah, red are. cars yeah. everywhere. Um, so well, it's less confirmation bias, it's more exposure effect. We might cut this bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that if you are attuned to see something in the world, you are going to get more reminders of it being there. And so if you're attentive to that, then you can more readily jump on the opportunities when they present themselves. Yeah. And I, th I think another theme that I want to talk about a bit is about finding one's voice and the courage of one's voice. Mm. And that really came up and disappeared for mm. Lisa. Like I think on one level it was always there and there was always this confidence. And then there was this kind of pushback against that confidence. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. I think a lot of mm. that's gendered in our society as well. I think mm. it's, it can be harder for women to find voice than for men to find voices. It can be, you know, she said several times, I didn't write, you know, I didn't write, didn't want to write a big high theory piece. I wanted to write yeah. something. I thought, you know, I think probably if she wanted to, she, she could have oh. done, but easy. I right? have faith in her. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think it's harder to write popularly consumable stuff because then you have to cloak it in a whole bunch of bullshit jargon. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have conversations about this. We do. And I've written <laughs> a lot of bullshit jargon, so I, 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 I own it. 
because I felt like I had to prove myself in that world. But there like, is that quality. It is, but it, again, it's kind of, and I think it's this is something that maybe comes up in our conversation with Dr. Rosalind Watts about having to prove oneself too. And, like, and, and there are all of these systemic things that can easily muddy the waters, get in our way in big and small ways. Um, and so to kind of persist with the idea until you find a way that's true for you, that's clear for you to kind of get the, the message or the story out. I mean, that's that tenacity, yeah. I think, is really an exquisite trait. And that's discernment too, right? Because mm. the problem I think today... <laughs> The Here problem today is, right, well, you know, a lot of people are like, my voice is important. I have something to say. Everybody yeah. has an important something to say. Like, get it out there, get it out there, get it out there. And it's like, okay, well, there's a balance here because sometimes the things that uh, you want to say necessarily are based upon years and years of experience that have been worked through mm. and like through, you know, to very, you know, that wisdom yeah. is different from knowledge. So drawing on wisdom instead of knowledge um, but getting that balance right, you know, oftentimes you uh, you will say something before you have full confidence. I yeah. mean, you'll never have full confidence, but you might have an idea. <laughs> so how you discern where and when you kind of bring that into the world. I mean, mm. just because loudest, most confident voices are out there doesn't mean that they're drawing upon wisdom either. You know, there's no. a lot of voices without discernment. And also back to that humility piece of of knowing that your perspective is one of many. And being able to, I think also for that being enough, like this is something that I definitely encounter with um, kind of touching into the more academic world, citing research and things. It's kind of the, if you have something that you want to say based on your experience and based on, I don't know, whatever you might have read or been in practice with, to have the confidence to say that, knowing that many folks are going to judge you on a different set of credentials, especially if you're coming from an analytical perspective where there's, you know, year, decades worth of Freudian work and Jungian work and all the others. And to think that you can actually contribute something that people might want to hear, which definitely we want to hear from Lisa, from Lisa and others. Um, there's kind of like a switching of gears that has to take place where your experience is enough. Like there's something about the realness of it, the, the value in it, in a world that might at least seem to value only specific voices from specific yeah like models sectors. right yeah like i have a really good example of this i think <laughs> Go for it. yeah um i used to work with a, just a super super talented psychotherapist like it's seen her in her work in groups and workshops like really amazing like i learned a lot from her and we did a we did some psychoanalytic training together and she was not an academic person and she got really confused between transference and counter-transference and projective identification and isn't transfer into projection. And she like had this meltdown with me, right? And I'm like, you work with all of this so well. Like I've seen you, like it doesn't matter. What the labels are. Yeah, like you're doing the work. Like it matters what the labels are if you want to teach it or you want to write a book about psychoanalysis, right? right? But she was being so hard on herself. And I'm like, you don't need to equate the amazing work you're doing with these terms, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, she did write the essay paper. But they're two like qualitatively different Things. levels, right? Like there's a skill there. There's just not a, the, there wasn't the kind of verbal intelligence mm-hmm. going on, but the emotional intelligence was great. Mm. And to be able to trust that wisdom and just because it might not match a dominant required yes. wisdom, like, well, yeah. you know, it's the language and you need to, you know, mm. I think that's important because I'm kind of into that kind of stuff. Back to your superior and inferior, <laughs> yes. which I'm now going to yes. in. <laughs> <laughs> we've had enough of that. We've had enough of that. But um, yes. Yeah. But having the confidence that you have something to share 
and that it's valuable. Um, and I loved hearing that in Lisa's uh, in Lisa's conversation that there was something that just would not let her go, and eventually she created this book, and it was so well received. And it's just something joyful about that mm-hmm. when an idea is finally ready to fall, and it does, and it's and it's wonderful. And that's not to say that because you know often we'll go through various cycles of approaching an idea. Um, and it'll go through iterations and the first version might suck a little bit and the second one might be better. It's it's not to dissuade us from taking the chance and going with um, various experiments until we find our footing. There are so many different paths to this. Yeah. This is not to just say, wait for 50 years, create something <laughs> that'll be a masterpiece. You know, there's so many different ways in which to get things out into the world. And the um, second book is not a slow burn. So the second book happened yeah, a lot quicker a than year. the first book. So yeah. those are also skills that, that come on board. Yeah, but there's a plurality of ways to get there for sure. Um, Should we think about a couple of practices or suggestions for people who might... um... Yeah, so you mentioned the artist's way and this practice of writing. And I think there's something about this kind of daily connection with the thing that you love, which is really important, even if it's just 10 minutes, which sounds really facile and probably not consequential. But it is. If you dedicate a portion of your day to something that you love even if it's only 10 minutes, it's, it's sending quite a strong message of commitment to yourself and to others um, to create the space for whatever it is that you're wanting to create space for. So I think something around that, like a daily ritual, 10 minutes commitment to draw or to write or to... Whatever the practice. Whatever the is, practice is, yeah. um, is a simple starting place that, that should be within most of our reach, hopefully. I thought a couple other resources as well, yeah. and I can't remember the second author's name. I think her first name is Natalie, but we'll find out and put it in the show notes. But the first one, uh, Dorothea Brand, who wrote, I think it might just be called On Writing. Again, mm. I'm just drawing on memory here, but really famous book about practicing writing every day. Mm. And she kind of says, you cannot call yourself a writer unless you're writing. So it's not... It's not just writing, but Lisa was talking about writing, but any any practice like that. So you might look into Dorothea Brand. We'll have the exact thing in the yes. show notes. We got that wrong. <laughs> and then writing down the bones is also, it's more fiction oriented, but it's mm-hmm. also about the process of writing and give suggestions and prompts to start that practice. So mm-hmm. for those burgeoning and desiring writers out there that you don't want to get too much into reading books about writing and not writing, yes, right? Yeah. But they are the more inspirational ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then The Artist's Way, obviously, which is a good one. Yes. Um, I think that's kind of it. Well, the other thing, perhaps because <laughs> you don't like the kind of synchronicity stuff quite as much, and I, I love the idea of it, <laughs> um, is that if pay attention to the patterns that you pick up on. And that's not because there's some great cosmic thing. I mean, it might be, I don't think one can know necessarily. But if you are consistently picking up on specific patterns or specific themes, maybe take a note because it might be that on some level, you're tuning into the things that you most long to be thinking about, feeling into, developing. And so noticing what you're noticing, like that meta level, can be a really lovely practice to start orienting yourself, especially if you have that nagging feeling, but you're not sure where it's taking you. Yeah. Um, and Lisa talked about dreams a lot too, oh, right? Yeah. So like listening into those dreams. And it's not that I don't like synchronicity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is another conversation. I just I, I don't understand it, so it's spooky. So it's like mm, I don't know, but um, I I do agree that um, there are, there are synchronicities yeah. and that um, they can help you along the way. I'm just not sure how magical they are, so, or it's about us making sense of the <laughs> total random world around us. Yeah, another true. conversation, but um, yeah, you can pay attention to the patterns without it having to be totally woo. Absolutely, and it can be totally woo if you want it to be, and you know, it's just not my way. <laughs> 
So on that note, it was woo. And now I'm just thinking about that Instagram puppy. You know, the corgi that's like, oh, woo. The corgi? Well, I'll find it and put it in the notes. <laughs> Is it woo? <laughs> it, woos. Okay. It's not like woo-woo, crystal woo-woo, but it's like a... All right, okay, I think it's we'll time to wrap up. In the notes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to show up uh, for Lisa and, and for and us. And for us. Speak soon. Bye.